Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening. This is episode 16 of the Root for Wisconsin show. I'm the host, Eric Fisher, producer, man on the ones and twos. Joined in person, a little bit of a weird lineup we have this week in the Meet Your True Value studio and Riverwood Gallery studio. What the hell's going on around here? So I'm joined in person in the number with two. Justin I'm in, in chair the two. two. Check one, two. And we we do this from Ramsey's ho- house. He's our studio host. But Ramsey Thompson is not even in Wisconsin right now. He's gone. But he is joining us for a little bit here. Ramsey, where are you at right now, buddy? We are in Indianapolis, actually. Oh, so you made some good time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, earlier this week, I mean, we're going to get to this in just a little bit here, but you were in Bristol, Tennessee for a little racing night. On Monday, we were there, yeah. It was an awesome experience. Bristol is an awesome venue. Yeah, so we'll get to that in a little bit, but just had to give the people. You're, so you're joining us via Zoom, so welcome here. Before we get into the fun parts of the show, a little bit of business to cover. We got Monkey Knife Fight, our partners over there. Use our links. We've got picks coming up. You know, We'll try to do those more weekly here. Be a lot of baseball stuff going on, especially with the partnership that they have with the Brewers. We'll have a kind of a nice little Wisconsin tie-in, double tie-in there. Got some NCAA tournament stuff going on there too. So lots of daily fantasy sports coming up. And then also Raise Energy, code ROOT4 with Raise Energy. I don't know if have you guys tried it yet. ROOT4. I have not gotten my package yet. But in, I have not gotten mine either. We're working on it. Actually, if you look downstairs my house, it might be there. So if you guys want to go and uh, <laughs> I'll raid my stash, I just I'll, thought. I'll check with your mom before we leave. <laughs> but... Uh, She's a nice lady, too, by the way, Ramsey. Thank you for letting me meet your mother. Yeah, Leah, Leah's a wonderful person. <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I got my ambassador pack on, on Sunday, actually, came in. And uh, lots of goodies in there. I mean, you got pre-workout, got sleep sleep uh, supplements, got a couple cans of energy drinks, got some of the, the on-the-go ones. Wait, sleep supplements? They make from, sleep supplements, too. From an energy drink place? It's not just energy drink. They got pre-workout. They got all sorts of health stuff, too. Oh. Rep sports, man. Rep it is, sports. It's a lifestyle place, Justin. Yeah. All right. All right. I can't wait for my package to come. So code ROOT4, R-O-O-T, number four, at repsports.com. Hit them up. Get yourself some good stuff. That said, now for the fun parts. Uh, you know, Ramsey, you were mentioning your mom being an awesome lady and, uh, I got to shout out my mom here, too. She's been talking mad shit at Justin, <laughs> especially with uh, Tuesday night's game going down the way it did with Michigan being out. All this shit Justin talked. All this shit. It took him two weeks to show his face in the studio. <laughs> I know. And I'm not even there. That's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. So I didn't get to watch the game last night. My last dying hope was Michigan, all right? And... So I, I, I watched about the first half, and I was, I was all like, damn, when they got it, I still got a shot at this thing that I can at least pass Ramsey here. And then I woke up, had to be about 2 o'clock in the morning just by happen chance, and uh, son of a bitch, I was getting attacked online. <laughs> Man, I got people coming from every which way at me. They rigged it. It's all rigged, but I'm okay. a man of my word. I'm okay. a man of my word. I'll back off, and I'll pay the debt. I'll pay the debt, but I'm telling So you. I got to say, so uh, like I said, my mom talking mad shit. So I took I took the screenshot. I put it up on Facebook. If you're above this line, you officially beat Justin. 
Out of forty contestants, Justin took thirty eighth place. That just all that just all means that I'm I'm the barometer. I am I am the bar to meet. All right. I had an off Justin, year. It was a, a COVID year. All right. I had a COVID year. It's just a rough rough patch. I had some underlying issues going on with my bracket, and and you know what? I'm taking an off year, and that's it. I'll come back and get you guys next year. Don't worry about it. One year. You know what? The best part about this is, Justin, I still have an outside chance to win the whole thing, just so you're aware. And if I do, oh, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> so Mama Fish is still in it pretty heavily, too. I mean, she's still Gonzaga alive. Is, is, she, she, is she Little Fish? Is that Mama what? Fish. Well, who we have, Little Fish is my brother. Oh, okay. But uh, so she messaged me last night. So well, she damn, said, I was chasing little fish. Little fish was little is, fish. She says, and this is a quote from a message she sent me: "Is that UCLA over Michigan? I thought that was Justin's ultimate pick. Hmm. <laughs> I think Mama Fish just beat him. Just saying. And then a couple beer emojis, a fish because you are a fish fry now, according to your. You know, I know. Talking last I got. Week. I got debts that I got to pay. I know. So, uh, yeah, that's Mama Fish talking mad shit. Uh, maybe I mixed up the names because she was so high up on the board that I didn't even see her where my name was. <laughs> <laughs> also, my dad's a little mad at you too because you created a monster with her. Oh, really? She's been watching. She's watched more basketball than probably in the last two weeks than I have. She, like I said, I I brought this to your attention last week. This is her bracket, and I know people can't who are listening can't see this. Look at all them. She's yellows. got the highlighter out. She's got. Damn. She's been watching more basketball, I think, and she watched me growing up. She went to all our tournaments. She's watched more basketball these last two weeks <laughs> than she probably has since I was probably in see? fifth or sixth grade. See, my shit talking has created new fans. All right, that <laughs> I'm gonna roll with that. That's the ultimate win, Ramsey. What do you think? I'm just saying, if I actually win. Oh, we're gonna celebrate! <laughs> I might drink that entire thirty rack in one sitting there. And guys. a kegger, kegger at Ramsey's. Yeah, well, I'll, if I win, we'll talk. Because <laughs> so, I still have Baylor and Gonzaga in the national championship yeah, game. Yeah, you got a shot, brother. So we've got some stuff to talk about. We'll uh, we'll go, Ramsey. Why don't you give us an update on your vacation here, quick? Uh, how was Bristol? Like I said, Bristol is an awesome venue. Um, I can't say enough about, like, I, I've been to enough NAS races now that I would definitely say Bristol is probably my favorite place to go. I like Indianapolis better as a venue, personally, but Bristol, to see a natural race, top-notch, excellent facilities, people are wonderful. It, it was just a really good experience overall. What else have you been doing down uh, down south? Uh, so we were in... Charlotte, I ra- uh, I didn't race. I um, took a McLaren 570 on a track day Ooh, wow. earlier last week. So I have the video from that. I'll post that on the Facebook page when we get back to Wisconsin. Sweet. Um, we've been spending some time on the Smoky Mountains, just having a, you know, just relaxed the uh, last week or so. So there you go. It's just been a good time to be away. And, you know, it rained pretty much the entire time. So that sucks, but it is what it is. I got one question for you, Ramsey. Yes, how, how many mullet pictures have you taken with people down in Tennessee? You know, I fit right in, Justin. If, uh, <laughs> if you go to the Bristol Motor Speedway, I was just one of many. You know, I wasn't that normal. I was with my people. It was all good. <laughs> I was with my people. That's how's, great. how's Mel feel about that? Mel loves it. Mel loves mullet. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so let's we'll go back to kind of what we normally talk about as Ramsey's got some limited time with us. So with that, we'll start off with what we had rooted for. I know we talked a lot about basketball last week and a lot about um, some NASCAR last week too. So I guess I'll lead it off with Ramsey. What were you what were you rooting for this last week here, bud? I was rooting for the Bristol Dirt Race to be a success. And what what's your ultimate verdict on that? Because I know there's a lot of kind of like mixed opinions on that. Mm-hmm. It was not a success. Really? Okay. Which will lead into my which will lead into my noogie. So okay. I'll, okay. I'll leave you with that. Or how about you, Justin? What I rooted for, and you, and this might be like the most double standard thing I've ever said in my life, um, but I rooted for UCLA to make it to the final four, <laughs> only because they were one in the play the playing game. First four, Brian yeah. Anderson last night. Yeah. I don't know if you got to catch any of the highlights mm-hmm. of the game. Brian Anderson was on play by play. We know him very well yep. as the. Uh, the now Bali Sports, mm-hmm. uh, Bali Sports Wisconsin, Fox Sports Wisconsin, Brewers, uh, play-by-play guy. He was on play-by-play for the game last night, and after the game ends, first four to final four, UCI Bruins yeah. going to the final four. Epic call. Like I, I had a tweet about it, but uh, yeah, no, I, I'll give you that. You yeah. know, just I don't has that happened? I don't. I I think this is the first time that that's ever happened. Uh, from from BCU did it, I believe, from the playing game. From, oh, I believe VCU was in the playing game there. Yeah, what? We'll, we'll check that. I believe. Um, I don't know. I'm not talking about. Yeah, game. we'll we'll check that. And but uh, e- even though uh, Mick Cronin is one of my favorite coaches, uh, just a just a very animated guy, and and I kind of see the way I coach and, and the way he coaches, and um, it's just great to see one of the blue buds back. They they would they had fallen on hard times since Ben Holland left there. Uh, it's Kevin Love days. Yeah, Kevin Love and. And so um, it was just good to see him back, and and, and uh, just really cool that eleven seeds in in the show, and uh, we'll see we'll see what they can do against them Zags. I don't think it's much, but we'll see. Yeah, I'll I'll hold off on the NASCAR talk. I know I had talked about that pretty you know quite a bit last week too, but I'm just gonna kind of echo what you guys were saying. Just college basketball as a whole, like I was rooting for it to be good this weekend, and we really didn't get a whole lot of great games. Like there was a couple close ones. We saw a few here and there, but. Uh, all in all, I mean that UCLA or the Alabama UCLA game was pretty good. Um, I guess there was maybe one or two close games Saturday, but all in all, like just good basketball. I mean, it was good, you know, worthwhile to watch. It's still weird not having it, you know, not having it on Monday and Tuesday for that Elite Eight rounds, but yeah. also made it kind of good to watch because you know usually there's nothing on TV on Tuesday nights. I got home from work last night and it was like, oh, college basketball time, let's go. Yeah, what one of the things that uh. I'll throw a shout out to that I would never ever do to the NCAA is that they nailed this thing. Like there was um what one maybe was it one game that one was kind game of that was canceled affected because of, COVID. because of COVID, but they fucking nailed this thing and and congratulations to them on two actually two good tournaments because the girls' side is going off like like crazy. I mean, outside of the issues of equality, but um, we'll get to that in a little bit too. So. Yeah, just they're just nailing the tournament and the bubble and and how this thing is played out. Ramsey, how crazy is Indianapolis right now? Dad, it is probably the least busy city we've been in in the last few days. Really? Well, you're not a whole lot of fanfare there. I mean, you really can't oh, go yeah, to games and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. We had some, there were some UCLA fans in the hotel we're at, uh, <laughs> Bottle Works Hotel in the old district in Indianapolis. Wonderful place. If you're ever in the area, make sure to stop in. Um, I would like to say one thing about the tournament, though, I'm talking about it, is that I truly, I've watched all the Final Four teams now, 
And I think those are the four best teams that are left. Like, I really do think that UCLA is probably in the best four that are left playing basketball as of right now. Uh, Gonzaga is obviously the best team in the country. So I think that we've got, they got it right. And that's big too. I don't know if I can quite agree with that, but I'll, <laughs> I don't I'll, agree I'll give you that they've all teams have played well. Like they all deserve to be there. So I'll, I'll concede. So that what, you. what team should be there over those four? Based on the body of work as a whole, I yeah. still think Illinois probably should be there. Yeah, Illinois for sure. But Illinois got trounced. And no, I they don't did. Think Illinois they did. Beats. They had they had a bad game. Illinois is not better than one of those four teams. Uh, not I, today. Maybe, maybe. Let's let's a UCLA. That, that, that is UCLA, a, Gonzaga, Baylor. All three of those teams give them problems. That's a that's like a a, a case of beer argument, right? Yeah. There, so. so we can get that to a different day, but. Uh, so we'll go from the positives to the negatives. Tyler, you're going to get the week. I know Ramsey's chomping up the bit at this one for the Bristol Dirt Race, so I'll let him go right away, too. I'm going to go ahead and give it to NASCAR this week about the Dirt Race. I'm happy they did something different and taking the cup cars to dirt. However, it wasn't, it wasn't put on overly well, and I was in the minority of people who paid for tickets to be there. I paid well under what they were going for about a week before that. And, but there were people there that were paid about 900, probably about a thousand bucks for two people to be there. And the racing that you saw at Bristol wasn't overly great for a $900 race to go see. Um, it was pretty dusty. It was, the race itself was good, but it didn't translate to in-person watching as good as it should have. And that made me a little upset. I mean, it should have probably been a night race. The track conditions for a 250-mile race weren't great towards the end. So, and on top of that, I mean, I know it's a race, but you had your best driver in Kyle Larson who had to go to the back of the field, drive all the way through it, and then get involved in a wreck. And just never, he was even the best car after that wreck. I don't know if you guys watch him on TV and could see him race all the way to the field again. But uh, yeah, NASCAR just didn't overly present the package well. And I, for that, I'm going to have to give him another the week. Yeah, I would agree that it wasn't presented well. I think there was a lot of missed opportunity mm-hmm. that they could have done. Like, there was the, like you said, it should have been a night race. I mean, just A for the nostalgia, you know, the shout out to dirt racing. Mm-hmm. That should have been a night race in and of itself for that. But when you look at the effects, I mean, watching on TV, I know that you guys had a. Um, you know, different perspective watching in person than we had on TV. You know, we were talking about this before we started recording here about how the camera position is different than watching as a fan from the grandstands, just how it's positioned. Turns one and two were really hard to watch because the, it was it was the shade and it was so dusty in those turns especially. So it made that really hard to watch. And then turns three and four, as, as you got on the runs, like the longer runs, they were good. But that initial, just because of how dusty it was, they didn't, I don't know if it was just mismanaging the track or whatever the situation was, uh, made that hard to kind of watch at first, but it, it made it the better corner to watch, I guess, the better in turns three and four. So, But see, that was the complete opposite from the viewing perspective. One and two was a lot easier to watch in person than three and four was. But even how the sun was setting on the backstretch, I'm sure you guys saw that right away at the beginning of the race. Mm-hmm. That probably caused two or three accidents right in the backstretch in the same spot because of how the transition from light to dark was on the backstretch and how the sun was setting. Right. So that was 
and that's why Kyle Larson eventually was, got wrecked out with Eric Jones coming out of turn number two was when they were transitioning from that light to dark and Eric Jones looked like he just got turned around Kyle Larson and everybody would know. Just, so, it was car. It was, it, you know, it, was, it was almost like Daytona in a sense where you're kind of coming around a corner, nothing you can do about it. You can't see anything mm-hmm. and just accident. You kind of just fall into it, but Hey Ramsey, so do you... that was go ahead. Yeah. So that meant I had two other points real quick while we're talking about it. I guess said Kyle Larson was the best car and it was not close. He would have run, run away with that race. Yeah. If it wasn't for that incident, he was even the best car directly after the incident. He went three laps down and drove almost all the way back up to the field. So it's a shame that we didn't get to really see him be at the front of the track. Also, I would like to say, I really admire NASCAR for what they did with the pit stops. I'm putting on time and pit stops. I think that's a great thing moving forward. I think that we should try to throw away and do that permanently. It uh, takes some of the pit strategy out, which is okay, but it's going to cut costs tremendously. And I think that would be a much needed improvement for the series. Interesting. So, Ramsey, my question to you was going to be um, with the dirt they brought in, it was like, well, I think the stat was like they brought in 2,300 truckloads of dirt. 2,000, yeah. yeah. Um, but they changed the banking from 29 degrees at the top to 16 degrees. How much do you think that really changed the racing, uh, uh, of the dirt perspective there? I, I don't know. It would be hard to say it with where they were at. It seemed like a lot of the guys weren't running that high line anyways, to really make that banking change a lot. Does that make sense? Like, all those guys are basically running that first and second line up from what it looked like I saw again. Yeah. I probably have the best perspective. But I, I don't know. I think the track itself was fine. I just think the management of the track wasn't great. And they, I don't know if it shouldn't have been a 250 mile race, or a 250 lap race. I think that was fine. I just think that the track management got away from a little bit after stage. Midway through stage two, and it just never got back to what it was in the end. Um, I don't know. And, it, it'll be better next year. And you pre- I, I can almost guarantee that. And you previously said that maybe the truck race had a factor into that too, huh? They, so between the trucks and the cop cars, they had, I believe it was a two-hour changeover. Truck race ended a little before 2 o'clock Bristol time. The cop car started a little after four Bristol time. Um, Eastern. They staying at home. Yeah. <laughs> so the I think the truck race definitely did play a factor into it not making it the necessarily time for, in the cup race time for him. Um, so we'll see what they do next year. I'm really interested. I think it's made better. I think that they announced that they're going to do it midway through the race on Monday. So we're going to get Bristol dirt too. So I'll be going to that next year for sure. So it was, a, it really, I kind of bashed a little bit, but it really was a good time. I had a great time being there. It was, it was really fun. Interesting to see something different in a cup race. So Man, I'll definitely be back. It's just a matter of they could have done stuff better and probably could have thought things out a little better than yeah. what they did in, in the grand scheme of things. 
All right. Well, with that, Ramsey, any uh, other parting thoughts? We'll let you go. I know you got some stuff to do here, but any parting thoughts? Any other Wisconsin takes you got here for us? Um, I think I'm good, fellas. Right now, um, we'll be see you guys next Wednesday for sure. Sounds good. Nice talking to you, Ramsey. We'll see you next week when you're actually here with us. Drive safe, bud. All right, we'll see you. Safe travels, man. Yeah, right. All right, Ramsey Thompson joining us via vacation. So we'll get into our... Via vacation. Yeah, via vacation. <laughs> That's, That's <right>. awesome. <laughs> so joining us vaca- on vacation. So he'll, you know, thanks to him for joining us. We'll get into our noogies of the week here. Mine, I'd have to say, is probably Mark Emmerich, the president of the NCAA mm-hmm. and... And for those, you know, we talked about a, a little bit at the end of the show last week, a, just a terrible mishandling of the women's basketball tournament. And I'm going to ask Matt, we have a guest joining us in a little bit here. We'll talk some Brewers baseball with him, but I want to ask him awesome. as a commentator of women's basketball what he kind of thinks of everything going on here too because, you know, the inequality measures have been pretty well documented at this point. You know, the food was awful. Um, the weight facilities, not even close to even for so long. But then Mark Emmerich, on top of all this stuff going on, looking like the biggest clown in the world, goes and doubles down on this stuff. And, and he does apologize. You know, statement came out today. So the headline, and it is just a headline at that, but NCAA president Mark Emmerich admits inequality but wants women's basketball leaders to push progress. Like, dude, what the hell? Like, you're the yeah. leader of college basketball. Yeah. Like, you're the leader of all college. Like, what <laughs> so. the hell are you talking about? He says he wants them to, the women's basketball community, to, has to determine specific improvements if it wants to, quote, pick up and run with as the sport moves forward. Like, dude, you don't, you have different logos for the Final Four. You have all this inequality that you're literally signing off mm-hmm. on. Just an absolute moron. And and he's saying, that, quote, there's no reason at all why these two logos can't be whatever the women's side wants. The women's staff are part of the NCAA. They're part of my national office. We all work and live in the same building. This is not somebody about, against the NCAA. It's part of the NCAA. The March Madness logo can, if the women's committee and the women's community wants it used, there's no reason they can't use it. And same, you know, same thing with the Final Four. It's not even called March Madness. It's... Just an absolute moron, and I, I hate the NCAA for a lot of reasons. This is another one of them. Just to add it to the list, and I, I'm not going to spend too much time on that. But. Mark Emmer is the number one reason why you hate the NCAA, because he's just, he's inept. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing running in the NCAA. Um, he's lucky that they have smart people kind of around him to to help him run this freaking thing into the ground. But... Um, yeah, he's just a clown, and and it's been far too long that this guy has been running the NCAA. Uh, he's going to end up costing uh, a lot of college kids some stuff that that their own likenesses and stuff. I I just I how he can go and and go around and and pass blame on something that he's in charge of is just beyond ridiculous. Um, he he should be ashamed of himself. He should be ashamed of the job that he's doing, and and he should really look in the mirror and say, "I, I, I'll just go this way. I think I think all college teams should go to the NCAA and ask for the resignation of Mark Emmerich because he's that bad, and he's done that bad of a job, and he's fumbled this whole process that bad." Yeah, like I said, I I could sit here and go on and on. I'm not going to. Uh, but just an absolute moron time and time again. And 
and I I don't think I can say a positive thing about him. Yeah. I I think the NCAA works like this tournament and the college football playoff works in spite of him. I think he's took something that I truly I love college sports. I love watching college sports. Yeah, absolutely. But I have just the hardest time in the world wanting to watch them because he's such a moron. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. So my noogie of the week. My I'm just gonna jump off unless we have. Do we have them yet? No, you can go. Okay. Um, I, my noogie of the week is, is going to be um, John Jones. I don't know if you saw this, Eric, or not, but uh, after the Francis Ngannou-Stipe Miocic uh, heavyweight championship fight Saturday night where Ngannou knocked him out in the second round and became the newest uh, UFC heavyweight champion, um, it it was kind of perceived. It, it was kind of a, a good notion that John Jones was going to jump up and and fight um, uh, the winner of the heavyweight championship and um, <clears throat> uh, go for the belt. Mm-hmm. But uh, after Ngannou won, John Jones tweets out, "Show me the money," and, and kind of starts dancing around, uh, jumping into this fight with Ngannou because. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Ngannou is like a, he is a crazy athletic freak of a man. He stands six foot four, 285 pounds walking around like chiseled stone. He's got cinder blocks for hands. Uh, he, it, it makes it look like John Jones is scared of fighting Ngannou. Mm-hmm. But, uh, just, just from the standpoint, uh, when when you agree to something, you kind of follow through, and it just seems like he's trying to dance around it. Yeah. So, Justin, you say he's you know running around from this fight. I guess what's the kind of the timetable? Because I know that they have to take so much time off between fights. What's well, John, Johnny Jones is is currently just massively building his his body up. He he currently is like a a pure muscle, walking around two hundred forty two hundred forty five pounds right now. Um, I don't know how much more he wants to gain or how much more he wants to chisel, but he wants to, uh, I, I think the UFC wants to get Ngannou in there as fast as he can because I'll tell you this, this Francis Ngannou has not fought a heck of a lot of, of minutes or rounds in in, uh, in the UFC. I, I, I don't know what the stat is, but um, he, I think they could get him in there in 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 three months, so maybe uh, June, July, end of June, July. So possibly double up with Connor, or yeah. would they probably do two yeah. separate? You think? Well, I think Connor and Dustin are standalone standalone kind of event, um, just because that's that's that might be the biggest the biggest draw that's ever ever been produced in in the UFC. Um, but you know, end of July, probably after the Connor fight. Okay. Um, but f- from from the sounds of it, it it doesn't sound like it's very close. Uh, uh, Jones tweeted out earlier today that eight to ten million dollars for that fight is still too low for him. Damn. And so uh, I, I don't know that Dana is anywhere in in the vicinity of that right now. Um, the problem is, is Ngannou's got one demon out there that he he has a a loss to avenge to. The Derek Lewis, and, and and so I don't. I, I think that fight might actually happen first, just because mm-hmm. uh, Dana's not very happy with John Jones right now, and, and so he he's gonna wa- he he's gonna take the fight that's there and make the money now. So you know, 
just to kind of segue here with uh, that talk about Connor, there's a there's a fighter I caught on to this week. Sugar. Sugar. Sean O'Malley, he was on Pat McAfee earlier this week, and he's yeah. a guy that he could end up actually being that co-main event with that Conor Poirier fight. That dude's electric. Like, he if you, is. If you guys get a chance, like don't, I'm not saying don't listen to our show because you know we love having you, mm-hmm. but if you get a chance to listen to that interview from Pat McAfee, I believe it was Monday afternoon, Sugar Sean O'Malley is electric. He's exactly what you'd expect. I have not, I have not caught his... His podcast, he, he runs yeah, his he own podcast. he has one too. So, you know, listen to this one first. Yeah. Go listen to Pat. I, but I imagine he's electric on that too, man. This this guy is all over the map. He He's uh, I don't he's a pretty young guy. Yet, he's I like about a year older than I am. Yeah. So, so 26. 26, yeah. But, man, he is, uh, some of the stuff that he talks about on social media is, is, is he's probably. He's a different cat. Yeah, he probably not what would make your, your boss very happy. <laughs> um but he he's out there. He he's got a look. He he's got a bravado about him that uh, the UFC is falling in love with. UFC fans are falling in love with. He's on the fast track to a title shot. Um, I, I believe that bumped his record up to thirteen and one. Officially thirteen and zero from his. Yeah, I, his I don't know. I, I, gotta, I don't do know how that happens. That, we, we we've got some work to do. But the the guy is uh you know he he's got a little bit. He kind of reminds you of Conor McGregor. Early Conor, yeah. Early Conor, kind of building himself up. We'll I got. I laughed off. so hard. So this is something I, you know, just the the presence of mind of this dude. So he was talking on McAfee's show, and said how he had these shirts made up for thirteen and zero, another right hand from uh, what was it from Sugarland, another right hand from Sugarland. Yeah. And the dude apparently in the fight, and I didn't watch it live, but in the fight. He knocked the dude down with his left, and instead of attacking and jumping on him to finish the fight, he backs off to let him get up because he yeah. knocked him with the left. Gotta, and he had shirts that said the right yeah, hand. Got to sell that merch, man. So <laughs> yeah, the dude's out there, but just like I said, just electric. Yeah, dude. Like I said, listen to listen to our show. Go check out the interview with Pat McAfee. If you're still wanting to listen to content for that yeah. day. Check out his podcast. Just electric dude. I can't say electric enough. Like just yeah. that's that's the core definition of what he is. Mm-hmm. So this might be the most the most uh, we've ever said electric in, in an episode of ours so far. In that's, episode sixteen, as you listen to uh, maybe the, the the rest of the episode here, there might the, be a couple more mentions. Yeah, there. of electric stuff. So <laughs> you know, I do work for the power company. So. Uh, <laughs> That can't, is electric. Can't say, I'm, I can't say I represent them because, you know. You're pretty contract. electric, Eric. I like to think so. Uh, so, all in all. Um, so, we go from that into our, kind of our Wisconsin sports roundtable. You know, we're root for Wisconsin. Got to talk about Wisconsin. We're going to cover the Brewers pretty heavily here. So, we're going to yep. kind of skip them for now. We've got Matt Polly joining us in a few moments to talk about the Brewers. Matt Polly is the pre- and post-game show host with the Brewers on TMJ. He also covers Green Bay women's basketball. Uh, he's the play-by-play announcer for that. So can't wait to have him on here a few moments, get him to talk about the Brewers coming up. So we'll skip that for now. Mm-hmm. So we look around the state of Wisconsin. The Packers actually had a pretty slow week. You know, they officially re-signed Mercedes Lewis and Tyler Lancaster. Yeah, Never. you know, uh, let's touch on Tyler Lancaster, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got a lot, a lot of typical freaking Packer fans, right? They're just pissing and moaning about... Uh, us signing Tyler Lancaster. Now, I I was listening to uh, one of our local sports shows that you, maybe you work for. Um, <laughs> so in in this this uh, host was saying, you know, you can't really um, 
you can't really look at the Lancaster signing as as anything really. Just he's it's not a signing that's going to make your team worse, and it's not a signing that's going to make your team you know that much better. It doesn't it doesn't cause you not to do something in the future. Right. It's just depth, you know, and 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 who knows? It, it's a signing. He this guy's still going to have to fight for a job. You know, he he he's he, there's no guarantees for him. So I. I don't look at it as a bad signing as as much as I like to beg on the Packers and how they operate in pre agency. We've done that enough in the last couple of yeah. weeks. So, so it, it just Packer fans cool it on 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 this stuff. Yeah, Tyler Lancaster, like I said, he was when I saw the signing I I didn't have much of a reaction. It was just okay. A little a little surprised at the Mercedes Lewis signing at how much that figure was. Yeah, I mean, you're talking like four million dollars a year with I think it was two million guaranteed, right? Something so, around that ballpark. But two two years, eight million dollars is for 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 what he is and what he's doing. I mean, you might as well throw thirty more pounds on him and put him at right tackle. I mean, for <laughs> now, I, I had to say, like I said, Lancaster. When I saw it, I was kind of just amazed at just how many people were pissed off about yeah, him. Like, right? Isn't like crazy? I did, I literally I don't think I had a reaction. I was like. Okay. Okay. Like I, I think it was more surprising the Packers made such a big signing, it's, like big deal about it on Twitter yeah, and Facebook. It's not that bad. I mean, it's it is what it is. Yeah, I, I twenty twenty season. He played in fifteen games, started three, uh, twenty two total tackles for an interior lineman. Yeah. Though that's not bad. He's not. He's not going to cause you not to draft a guy in the first round if that's where you feel you need to go. <laughs> you know. Right. It's just he's a depth guy and he's going to have to fight for a position and. He's a cheap veteran who's been around the horn a couple times, and and so, I don't I don't get what the what all the hoopla is about. Like, chill. Yeah. So Packers make that signing. Speaking of another signing, we gotta look at Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. Shaka Smart coming back to the Badger State. Huge. Didn't play here. Didn't coach here. We talked about this as a possible possibility of the Badgers' job. I think we kind of overlooked him as Marquette, but. Yeah. That's where he ends up going, signs on to be the head coach of the Golden Eagles. And I got to say, that's a great move for them. It's a tremendous hire. I mean, when you take a guy, uh, I mean, you're Marquette, you're a standalone basketball um, uh, school, you know, just as as your major sport. And, And to take a guy that's coaching at the University of Texas, which is, I mean, the University of Texas has their own TV station, for Christ's sakes, that people right. have to buy. Um, so uh, when you think about what Marquette just pulled off, that that was a huge, huge power play. And just where we stand, where we want to be, where we know we can go, who we think we are. And, and mm-hmm. just to nab him out of Texas was just tremendous. Now, as a coach, he didn't – he had mild success. He was always on the hot seat at Texas, but Texas standards, um, even for a school that's you know primarily a football school, was were a little high. I mean, when you had Rick Barnes there before, they made 16 straight um, NCAA tournaments. Uh, Shaka never won a game in, in, in the tournament. So that's a little sketchy. I mean, that's a little scary. But when you talk about Shaka, he had – he had the great run at at VCU, took that team to the Final Four, um, and, and he's an Oregon, Wisconsin native, just outside of Madison. Um, fits the criteria, fits the people of Wisconsin. Um, just a tremendous hire. I think I think he can recruit the the crap out of kids. He's going to get some some stellar players there. 
Uh, I'm a little biased. I'm, I'm, I'm a little sad that Steve Wojciechowski is gone. You know, I, deep down outside of the Badgers, I'm a Duke fan. So Me too. So. And, and, and to watch him go, I mean, he was probably one of my most favorite Duke players of all time just because I'm that old and I can remember when he was playing in <laughs> Final Fours against Arkansas and stuff like that. So a uh, little sad to see Wojo go, but um, I think he'll bounce back great. Just excited to see where Shaka is going to take this thing, and I, I hope they bounce back because, I mean, what a brand that Marquette could have and where they could possibly take this thing. You know, basketball is at its best when Wisconsin and Marquette are really good. No doubt. And and especially in the state here, I mean, that rivalry that can sometimes happen, even when they only play each other once a mm-hmm. year, and they don't always even play each other every year, but... That rivalry can be very, very good and very, very heated yeah. between. I mean, there's the people who are, the, you know, you got the Madison alums, you got the Marquette alums, you got the people probably like us that really don't really have a rooting interest one way or the other. Right. Just want good basketball, yeah. and, and when that rivalry is good, that's exciting. So I'm hoping that that kind of gets back to that. Oh, I mean, yeah. We had a good game this year. Well, I'll tell you shit. I mean, you know, you remember when Dwayne Wade took took Marquette to I mean, the I final was four? Seven. So I don't you're, really remember it greatly, well, but yeah, you're, I gotcha. You're a uh, well. Shit, then I'm like <laughs> 17. <laughs> but, you know, you're, you're talking, at that point, you're a huge Marquette fan. Well, you right? look at, you know? I mean, growing up, you had, was it Jermaine O'Neal was on the team. You had, uh, not Jermaine O'Neal, they no. had a different O'Neal, though. Uh, but that run with, like, Jimmy Buckets and, yeah. and uh, my personal, my, one of my all-time favorite college players was Wesley Matthews when he was playing Travis Diener, you know, uh, Steve Novak. They, they, they've had some some great guys and some great guys that they, they have, uh, that they have produced from the state of Wisconsin, you know, and uh, I think that Wojo kind of flew away from that. I mean, one of the guys that you like to talk about that committed to uh, Marquette then found his way back to uh, UWGB, Sandy Cohen. Um, you know, he it just seemed like uh, maybe Wojo kind of abandoned the state of Wisconsin and, and uh that, that might have been the start of his undoing. And there are a lot of great players in the state of Wisconsin. I mean, one went in the lottery last year. So, <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't avoid those guys. Yeah, you know, uh, Sandy Cohen. So Sandy Cohen was kind of doomed to fail, though, at Marquette. Yeah. Because he wanted out when Buzz Williams left. Yeah. So I I don't hold um, Wojo. Wojo accountable for that. But it wasn't a great sign when he was looking to get out right away. And, I mean, he had a great career at Green Bay. He ended up, I think he played for for two or three years in the long run and ended up being a 1,000-point scorer, finished top four in the Horizon League. Each year he was there in Green Bay and left the program right where it should have been, and yeah. you know they had a great year. But I don't know if the, the system even in Green Bay was a, a, a perfect fit for Sandy Cohen with Link Darner. It wasn't in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about this last week. Jordan McCabe would be a great fit in Green Bay with that new Will Ryan yeah. system. I think he would have been a great fit under Link Darner, though, too. Green Bay got a huge, huge uh, transfer flip this this uh, week in Mitch Listow. Uh, Wisconsin native played the last couple of years at Belmont, which is, I mean, Belmont's a pretty good basketball school. Um, they've made it to the tournament uh, a couple of years out of the last five. So uh, that's a big signing. That that. There's the guy right there, you know, Mitch Listow. Yeah, I'm still I'm trying to figure out who the hell I was talking about earlier, that O'Neal. Because I can picture, I can see the jersey. You know, that's uh, when they had, like, the candy You know what you got to do? You just got to go, you, you got to tune back to the basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. You, you know the basketball tournament that they play on the, on, the, on the ESPN? 
Uh, so, man, you just look back at, at the Marquette uh, Golden it's Eagles. It's not O'Neal. It's Jarrell McNeil. Oh, That's McNeil. Yeah, Jarrell McNeil. Yeah. Back when that squad was all together, yeah. you had him. You Jermaine. Had... Jermaine O'Neal. He went straight. He went straight from yeah. high school to the pros. We realized that was wrong right away. Just okay. let's not harp on this. Noogie okay? of the week. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, so a lot of good stuff happened in Marquette. Uh, we looked at also um, just another kind of look around, you know, unfortunately Badger hockey done. Yeah. They kind of laid an egg in that. It's a hell of a run, though. I mean, let, let's look at it. They laid an egg in the game, but, I mean, to make it to the Frozen Four, well, they, that's they, a they hell of a run. the Frozen Four. They, they made the NCAA tournament. They weren't in the Frozen Four well, yet. I thought that was the Frozen Four. No. no. Shit. No give the week. <laughs> but no, I mean, just a turnaround though. You look at where that program was even two years ago, as a whole. That Bradger program was down for the men's side. I mean, the women's side just keeps winning national championships, but it's all they do. Yeah. But the the men's side, they've had some lean years here recently, and just to turn around, they had player of the year, they had coach of the year, they were number one seed in the tournament. And granted, they lost in the first round, but I thought they were in the frozen. Yeah, some shit happens. They lost to Bemidji State. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Shit happens, though. We, we all get one wrong here once one in a while. Wrong, yeah. One. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, lots of stuff happening there. Um, I, like I said, I think the big thing was Shaka Smart in Milwaukee. We'll stay in the city of Milwaukee, I guess, before yeah. we get into talking with Matt here. But Milwaukee Bucks uh, had been red hot and then kind of cooled down here this last week. They got a big game tonight to kind of right the ship, if you will, because, I mean, you play, you're playing the Lakers this week. Yeah. They don't have LeBron. They don't have AD. They do have Andre Drummond, their newest signee here. Yeah. But... Bucks also made a splash here, getting a, a grizzled veteran off the, yeah. the waiver wire. Not the it's, waivers, inter- it's interesting because when, when you talk about the guy that got Jeff T, uh, this is a guy they tried to trade for, or no, this is a guy they tried to sign in free agency for a massive contract, uh, but he was a restricted free agent, and the Hawks signed him back, and it was like maybe half a year later or a year later the Hawks traded him. Uh, so... Uh, you know, United with Coach Budenholzer. Yep, I mean, yep. That can't be a terrible thing. I know we've we've had enough to say about Coach Budenholzer uh, on the show. Unless Coach but... Budenholzer is your coach. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's a it's a great signing. You know, I, I think the sign of it uh, of having free agents that want to come on a veteran minimum salary and come play for you. I mean, if you were to talk about Milwaukee basketball as, as far back as. Five six years ago, that was never going to freaking happen, and now it's happening. So, uh, I I think it's an evolution in the step of where uh, basketball players see the status of of Milwaukee and um, how good it's going to be. Yeah, we talk about good things happening in Milwaukee. Let's uh, why don't you say we get to Matt Polly here? He's Matt. ready to join us. Matt is. I'm so glad he's joining us. So we'll we'll put the stage to that here. Electric. So why don't you say we get to Matt Polly? Matt Polly. All right, joining us now is a personal, a great friend of mine, our first guest on the show. I'm so excited about this that he uh, decided to join us. Yeah. He is the pre- and post-game host of WTMJ's coverage of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. He is the play-by-play announcer for Green Bay women's basketball and does a bunch of other stuff down in sports media. Great guy all around. So excited he's on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Polly. Matt, how are you doing, man? I'm good. So I'm your first guest. Uh, you've been doing this for a while now. You yeah, had a this is episode 16. Um, you are the first guest, technically. Oh. Um, okay. we, we had tried to do a guest earlier in the in the podcast run here. 
some technical difficulties well documented by this point, but uh, you are our first official guest. So thanks we're for joining. Work. I'm hearing you. You're hearing me. Hopefully it's recording. We're, uh, we're in good shape. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, we got good levels here, everything like that, all the tech talk. So Matt, I, as mentioned, I know you for the last couple of years, we've worked together on women's college basketball and man, are they in the spotlight for the wrong reasons? Unfortunately right now. Hey, yeah, you know, the the inequality stuff when it comes to to men's and women's basketball has been around for a really long time. And I, I do think you need to kind of s- split it out. Like I'm not I'm not angry that they're not putting, you know, that that they're not getting the same money from TV contracts because we're talking about businesses, but when we're talking about specifically when it comes to the NCAA, the NCAA is supposed to be a not-for-profit. So if they're going to be a not-for-profit, they got to have some equality from the from the men's side to the women's side. Um, th- that's just never existed, and y- you saw everything that went on with the the lack of resources in San Antonio for the women compared to what the men had. And then Mark Emmert just keeps putting his foot in his mouth. You know, earlier today, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, uh, earlier today, he talked about the fact that, uh, you know, if the women want the, to, it to be called final four, then the women need to ask for, it. well, they, they have asked for it. There's, there's documentation that they've asked for it. So he's, he's either lying or he just has no clue what's going on in his own organization. So it's, um, it's frustrating. It is frustrating, but if nothing else, it got so bad, it finally caught everybody's attention. So maybe women's basketball would be better for it. Yeah, and Matt, I know uh, we had just talked about this earlier in the show. So would you say this is Noogie of the Week worthy? Noogie? Sure, yeah. I, I like that. <laughs> I mean, it's just, look, I don't like Mark Emmert. I've never liked Mark Emmert. I, Join the club. I don't, like, <laughs> I don't like the fact that I don't know who his boss is. I don't know who he answers to. I'm sure there's some sort of, you know, board of, directors or board of governors or, yeah. you know, the, the various athletic directors, but it, it just feels like he goes, he moves forward, never getting checked. And I don't think he's very good at his job. And I don't think he's good for college athletics. And again, I think that's something that a lot of people have been paying attention has known, have known for a while, but now uh, a lot of other people are starting to take note. Yeah. And so we, we have this segment. I, I had to ask and ask it that way. Actually, I think this is kind of approaching Kevin King dumpster fire of the year. So we have yeah. two segments we have. So we have, our Tyler Hero Nugget of the Week award each week, which is kind of like the biggest doofus in the week of sports that week. You know, we don't, none of us like Tyler Hero for numerous reasons. He bailed on Wisconsin. He kind of looks like a tool, mm-hmm. kind of a douchebag. Um, and then, so I guess he became our Nugget of the Week, just kind of like I said, the biggest doofus of the week. And then after the NFC Championship performance, we, my disdain of Kevin King is no secret. Um, and now that he's back on the team, it makes it even worse. So we have two categories. We have Tyler Hero Nugget of the Week, and we have Kevin King Dumpster Fire of the Year Awards. So Mark Emmert, definitely more towards that Dumpster Fire of the Year Award kind of category at this point. So now, here, let me ask you this, though. I, I understand the frustration with Kevin King, and, I mean, all you got to do is go look at that play before the before half of the NFC Championship. But let's say, like, King turns it around, and he has a really good year this upcoming season, and, and a new defensive coordinator is just what the doctor ordered. Are you willing to do a 180 and, and acknowledge that uh, he, he turned it around and he's not the same guy that he was before? Oh, 100%, Matt. I am, I am willing to eat my words. I mean, as most commentators in sports media mm-hmm. here in Green Bay had Devontae Adams as a guy who was going to get cut over – Jeff Janice and Jared Aberderis. We saw how that's turned out at this point, but I am more than willing to eat my words on this. Um, I don't know if I've ever told you this in our our conversations before basketball games. The story I've kind of made clear to our listeners, but 
it bears repeating, so it's kind of a fun story. When I was a fresh uh, senior at GB, um, I was interning at the Fan, you know, our our flagship station for GB basketball. And on a Monday night football game, I had I usually live tweet games, and a player with a number ending in zero had gotten beat really bad on a kickoff return, and Trevor Davis got tackled at like the ten yard line. So I tweeted. Because it looked like Kevin King. I thought that was 2 0. It was actually, it ended up being Jamal Williams. I was mm. wrong. And I, I did admit mm. to this. Um, so, but Kevin King checks his name on Twitter. Did not mention him in my tweet, by the way. I just said, Kevin, it's a good thing Kevin King plays defense. He just got obliterated on that kick return, whatever I tweeted. Next day, because uh, it was a Monday night game, I'm actually working at Lambeau. I was working in the Packer Hall of Fame, and my phone starts going off. The dude checks his own name. And he quote tweets me, calls me out, puts me on blast in front of the whole Twitter world, said, boy, I ain't played a snap of special teams in my life or since my sophomore year of college or whatever. And, and I'm, I admitted to him I was wrong. We made up on Twitter or whatever. So I had a personal personal thing of I'm not going to tweet about Kevin King because I know he checks his, his name on Twitter. And uh, for four years, I swallowed that and didn't say a word after that point. Never tweet about him in the bad moments until that Buccaneers game. So if I'm wrong, I will gladly admit it. I will eat my words. But Matt, I'm also a guy who likes to play the odds, and I, I'm guessing I'm not going to be too wrong on this one. Yeah, no, I, I think my bit, my biggest problem with it, Matt, was uh, what they brought him back for for six million dollars, and and what we could have used that money for in a different sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the draft and how they move forward, um, and, and maybe. Uh, see if we can kind of draft his replacement. Yeah. It really feels like they're holding out hope that there's going to be, you know, with the salary cap down you know, 8% this year, that there's going to be a ton of cap casualties, even during training camp and that they're going to go out and get some big time bargains. That's what it's, that's what it feels like yeah. to me. Maybe I'm wrong. So Matt, I got to say, you know, in our, in our years of knowing, I know you're not from the Wisconsin area. We are, this is root for Wisconsin. We're all kind of Packer Brewers, Badgers, Bucks fans, Phoenix fans. Um, so one thing I've I've always noticed, and I've always wanted, to, I've always complimented you on, is just how passionate you are for a team with Green Bay Phoenix basketball. And you have really no alliance to the team. Like I I got to credit you for that. So what's what's that like for your just passion towards this program? Yeah, I mean, I think with the, the day that you're hired as a broadcaster for a team, you 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 represent that team, and I think the people listening to you. And let me say, it's it's genuine. It is absolutely genuine on, on my part. I hope what I'm about to say doesn't make it sound like it's not genuine because it is. But the moment you walk in there, like the fans, the listeners who are listening to you and, and rooting that team on, they need to feel like they're shoulder to shoulder with you and you're on their team and they're on your team, so on and so forth. So yeah, I absolutely, and I want to, I want to be around a team that wins. I want, it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Winning is fun. That's I'm not getting rich doing these games, right? Like right. I want to be around a program and it's fun and winning is fun. And if, if something happens that, that, that makes me upset or makes me happy, like I'm going to share those emotions. Now, clearly there's a, there's a line you don't cross in terms of, uh, you know, how much excitement maybe you bring to it. You, you need to be listenable and you need to stay in, in control of your faculties, but yeah, we're, we're, broadcasting sports it's fun so let's go have fun let's let's yeah. enjoy it i think people who are super buttoned up when broadcasting i'm not a i'm not a fan of that because i don't think it's uh 
I don't think it's what the medium is supposed to be. Yeah, and you know, I, I'd say that to transition into our, our main topic here with uh, Brewers baseball coming up uh, tomorrow for opening day and the season at large starting here this week. So growing up, you're from the Missouri-St. Louis. You grew up a Cardinals fan, and now you kind of got that. Oh, oh, you're going to get me in trouble here. <laughs> oh, man. So you grew up uh, oh. as as enemy number one in my book. I don't I don't actually have the Cardinals over the Cubs as my rival that oh. I don't like the most. But uh, you've done a pretty good job of shedding that that uh, that former allegiance, wouldn't you say? Yeah, like I'm I'm not a fan of, of that team or organization. It's not like I'm this closet you know, Cardinals fan that's, uh, that's what you're doing Brewers games, but it happened before I was even with the Brewers really. And, and doing stuff for WTMJ. I think when I started doing minor league baseball, like you just, you see stuff, you, you kind of lose your whatever fandom you had. Yeah. I grew up in St. Louis. And when you grow up in St. Louis, you grow up a Cardinal fan. And my dad is still a huge Cardinal fan. I think sometimes he doesn't like to accept the fact that, uh, his son is not really, in that category anymore. Uh, and, but it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of part of the job that you can't, you can't really be a fan of, of teams. And I, I understand that Brewers fans do not like the Cardinals. And I don't, I don't think any, I've never been accused of being like a closeted Cardinal fan when I'm, when I'm doing this. <laughs> I mean, uh, your dad, uh, I don't think your dad has much room to complain. I mean, he has 1982 and 2011 over us. So I, he's kind of got the better shake of things don't long term. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm I uh, I love the direction that this team is in. I, I love the leadership. Look, I think I think the Cardinals have had. Um, I, I think it's a little bit better now ever since Mike Schilt took over as their manager. But I I, I do I do respect Tony Larusa. I respect Tony Larusa, Cardinal manager Tony Larusa. The the mm-hmm. jury is still out on Chicago White Sox manager Tony Larusa. Yeah. Um, I think I think there were a lot of people in the Cardinals organization that maybe were not making the best decisions when he was around, but his opinion and his voice mattered more than anybody else. And then when he left, all of a sudden, some other people start having a, a bigger role and, and maybe there were some organizational failures that were going on that had kind of been, again, those didn't come to the surface when he was around. And I think they probably do have things kind of back on track right now. And, and Mike Schultz a good, is a really good manager and he's, he's perfect for that, uh, that franchise. But I, I do think that they kind of went through a, uh, a period where the decisions being made in the organization were probably not the best decisions. All right. Well, we don't need to blow too much smoke up there, but uh, I, I am so excited to give my, my first nugget of the week whenever it happens to uh, Yadier Molina. So that'll, that is mm. bound to happen probably three or four times throughout the season. Maybe minimum. Nolan Only Renato. three or four. Minimum three or four. But I, I, I'm kind of giving myself an over/under of about a month before he gets one. So I, I'm, I'm gonna not as, I'm gonna be ambitious about that. But I know it's gonna happen at some point. So let's, let's tone it down here. So, anyways, we talked about the Brewers. You know, you work for TMJ. So I gotta ask, just off the top here. TMJ flagship station of the Brewers. Do you have any good Bob Uecker stories? Oh man. Um, you know, I don't interact with him a whole lot to be perfectly honest with you. I'm not in the radio booth, uh, that much. And that's a, that's an area that uh, there's just, he, he's the number one celebrity in the state of Wisconsin yeah. without a doubt. <laughs> there is, there is no, so uh, you know, people are, are constantly coming at him. So there's some protection around. I don't have a lot of one-on-one protection or one-on-one uh, interaction with him. When I do talk to him, I, you know, I, I, we have conversations uh, a few times over the course of the year. 
you can't help but laugh. Like he is just, it, it is amazing how funny he is. I think that would be the first thing. And he, it's not like he's trying to be funny. That's the incredible thing. You're just having a conversation and how quick witted he is and how funny he is. I, I don't have any like specific stories, but I can just tell you how much I do enjoy those moments that I do get to, uh, that I do get to talk to him uh, because of just, you can't, you, you walk away laughing. And I will say this too, like he is somebody who, he, he enjoys being around people. And I think it's, uh, it's tough because he is so sought after and there's gotta be some protection around him. Mm. Uh, but he, he's somebody, whether it's the, you know, the people in the, the kitchen or just being around the team, uh, or, or being around other people in the press box. Like, I think he does genuinely enjoy being around people. I imagine him as, uh, just not even in the booth, but just talking to him one-on-one, just still being just a, a pro's pro and just a great down to earth guy that, you know, would be great to share a, a, a beer with and, and listen to him just ramble for an hour. Just, he just seems like a great character, a great person. Um, and, and a real true pro's pro. Yeah, absolutely. Who you hear on the radio is, is very much who he is. And, uh, that's a, that's certainly a compliment to him. All right, man. So let's, let's get into the team here. So first, I guess got to start with, Opening day tomorrow, you know, team, you don't really get a whole, I mean, you get a spring training, but you don't get a, a true spring training. You're not, you're not out in Phoenix with them. So what does the Matt Polly ramp up to the season look like? Uh, just really paying attention to what's going on. And, you know, I don't, I did not go to spring training. So it's a lot of reading what the beat writers are saying. Uh, the zoom meetings that go on every single day with Craig council and a number of players, just uh, always listening to those and, and hearing what's going on and just being, you don't want to get caught off guard by anything. And you need to know the backstories of what's going on. You know, the fact that uh, even the way the roster, these final roster spots that have kind of been delved out here uh, over the last day or so, what really led up to that. So I think it's just, I think it's understanding what's going on with the team. Uh, there's always going to be a little bit of rust when, when you're doing that first post game show, it's, it's not going to sound the way the post game show at the end of the previous year uh, sounded like you got to kind of work your way back into it. But more than anything, it's being educated on the team. Like there should never be a situation where somebody listening knows something that I don't know. And I'm not saying that's never happened because there's no way that it can't happen, but the goal should always be that you are as educated as anybody uh, on, on what's going on. All right. So we got some new faces in Milwaukee right now. We've got Colton Wong, who was kind of a surprise signing, really. I mean, I think I texted you about that when that happened. And then another big surprise, Jackie Bradley Jr. What should Brewer fans be really excited about these two guys for? I think they, they bring phenomenal defense. That's the first thing. That's their calling card. Uh, each of those guys are, are shoring up the defense, and I think that's something that the Brewers really wanted to do this year. And I don't know if it's connected to the uh, the baseball being kind of deadened again uh, or if it's just they, they said that, we're, that they want to win with defense and they want to have a, a really good defensive club. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is their character. Uh, who they are in the clubhouse. The Brewers are as good as any organization. You know, I can't, I can't speak to every organization because I haven't been around every organization, but I've been around enough to know that some organizations value character and some organizations don't. They're just, they're just, they, they, they're not looking for guys who fit. They're looking for guys who have baseball card numbers that fit a, a certain, you know, a certain number, a certain metric they want. And the Brewers are phenomenal at finding guys who fit into the organization, fit into the clubhouse. And 
I I've talked with both those guys a little bit on zoom. I haven't had any, you know, real, and I don't know when, when any of us are, are going to have any type of conversations beyond zoom, but just in my conversations with, uh, with both Colton and Jackie, uh, so far on, on zoom, they seem like just genuinely good people. And from what I've t- heard from people who've been around them previously, great guys, great leadership in the clubhouse. Maybe, maybe it's a clubhouse that needs a little bit more leadership after Ryan Braun is, is not there. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I think most importantly, you get some really talented baseball players who are also going to be uh, great leaders uh, for the team as well. Yeah, Matt, I, I was going to ask, uh, who do you think could really surprise and, and, and is not really on the radar right now? Uh, even, even if it's uh, a guy that's down in the minor leagues that could come up and really surprise and, and, and show fans that he, he could be a major player. Yeah. I think there's a few names to think of as some, as far as somebody who's on the roster right now, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with Daniel Robertson. Uh, I don't know where, where his playing time is going to come from because you got two guys at shortstop in RC and Urias. You got two guys at third base with RC and Shaw. Uh, you got, uh, it's just, you know, there's so many different things going on. Uh, in terms of a lot of guys for the infield. So I don't know where Robertson's going to play, when Robertson's going to play, but I'm excited to see what he might be able to uh, might be able to do. That would be the first guy. I'm excited to see when Aaron Ashby gets to the Brewers, and I think he's going to get to the big leagues this year. I'm not for sure, uh, but when he does get there, I think he's somebody who's going to have stuff that's going to be able to play at the major league level right away. You know, we tease this really perfectly, and this was kind of inadvertent between talking about the guys who, who fit the clubhouse and, and somebody who's been here now in his second stint, you just mentioned the playing time. Travis Shaw is one of those guys, I think, kind of fits that mold of a very surprise, like not a whole lot of expectations with signing him back and then playing well enough to deserve another spot on the roster. I mean, what's the buzz around him being back in Milwaukee? I think there's excitement, and he doesn't have to be Travis Shaw from his first two years. He just needs to not be Travis Shaw from his final year with the Brewers. But you look at his numbers last year in Toronto. If he replicates what he did in Toronto last year, and if you you know extrapolate out what he did in a 60-game season and project it out to a 162-game season, he hits 240 or so. He's going to hit 25 home runs. He's going to drive in 70, 80 runs. He's not going to the All-Star game for that, but it plays, it plays just fine. He's got some power. He's driving runs that works. And there's no reason to believe he's not going to be able to do that because he's got a track record. His track record isn't as bad year in Milwaukee. Uh, any guy at any moment can have a good year and any guy can have a, I, I talk about track record a lot. It's one, it's, it's, it's a broken record with me, track record, track record, track record. Uh, but th- it's a big thing to me because baseball is such a weird sport where you can have kind of that one hit wonder, a guy that just all of a sudden has that crazy year one year, but can never replicate it. It's really tough in baseball to year after year after year, put together good numbers. And you look at Travis Shaw, three of his last four years were pretty solid. Uh, does he hit for average? No. Is he going to strike out a bunch? Yeah. Like the, the, he's not a perfect baseball player. I get that. But my expectation would be that the numbers this year are going to be very similar to what the numbers were in Toronto last season. All right, Matt. So you talk about track record. Another great segue, man. You, you, it's a good thing you're a pro at this. Yeah, he's a pro, right? <laughs> so he's got it nailed down. Track record. Great job, you know, you man. talk about uh, a, a guy last year that uh, didn't necessarily hit that track record of what we come to know, Christian Yelich, which can you definitively say that all the, the concerns about Christian Yelich having a or not having a bounce back, you're kind of dead or where, where do you feel on Christian Yelich? 
I think he's gonna be fine. I mean, I don't know if he's gonna be the MVP, but I think he's gonna be an all-star. Uh, I'm I'm very confident that he's gonna really put things back together. And again, it kind of does go back to track record. And you throw out a lot of last year when, and and there's so many things that could have contributed to to Yelich having the down season. You know, some people said they thought it was because of the injury the year before. Some thought it was because there was no fans in the stands. Some thought because protection in the lineup was gone with uh, Mustakis and Grandal not being there anymore. Like there's there's a ton of reasons to think that it didn't work. He said on record that he knows what led to him not having such a great season last year, but it's not saying that he's going to divulge, which is, which is fine, but I'm not worried about him at all. I think he's going to have a heck of a season. Yeah, Matt. Uh, one of the biggest questions uh, of the year, and I don't, I don't know if you would agree that this may be the biggest question of the team is, is the switch of Keston here moving from second to first. How big of a switch is that going to impact him as a player? And do you think he's going to be serviceable long enough at that position? Great question. Great question. Uh, I don't have a definitive answer on this one because it's not easy. It's we all know the scene in Moneyball, right? Mm -hmm. Where Ron Washington is saying, you know, playing first base isn't easy Uh, when, when Billy Bean is trying to uh, try to, to, to convince, convince the guy, like it's it's not an easy thing. And um, he's had some good moments. He's had some not so good moments in spring. It's going to, there are going to be some more, not so good moments. The question is when you have those not so good moments, do they not start to kind of topple over each other and where you got, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse The kind of the quicksand idea. Uh, and at the same time, he's got to put it together offensively. He did not have a great offensive season last year, especially down the stretch of the year. Um, and he doesn't have a track record at the big league level. He's hit at every other level, college, minor leagues, everything, but he doesn't have that multi-year track record at the major league level. So he's got to prove that he can play first base defensively. He also has to prove that he can hit enough that it makes up for whatever you don't get him, get from him from a defensive standpoint at first base. So I don't think it's a huge question, but I, I do think it's a question. There's no guarantee that's going to work for him over there. Yeah, you know, we talk a lot about, I mean, there's a lot of players on this team, and you kind of mentioned Moneyball, and there's guys who can play multiple positions. We talked about Shaw, Urias, Arcia, because Shaw could potentially play first down the stretch, too, if needed. Um, Daniel Robertson's a guy, and then you also look at the outfield. You have four quality starters, especially with yeah. the the spring training Avasel Garcia's had. How is Craig Council, I mean, Craig Council's smarter than all three of us here, yeah, without a doubt about how he manages his team, but... Is there any indication of how he's going to manage this, just this loaded team with so many guys who probably weren't playing time? Yeah, I, the outfield's going to be interesting to watch, and I don't think it's going to be a big deal for the first maybe two months of the season because you're going to bring Lorenzo Cain along very, very slowly. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. had a bit of a wrist issue in spring, so you can bring him along slowly. Uh, there's your just coming up the 60 game season to the 162 game season. If, if Kane plays a game and you've got an opportunity to get him out of there after six, seven innings, there's just, there's going to be a lot of playing time and a lot of at bats available for everybody. I think over the first couple months, but as the season goes along, as you get into the dog days and then you get into the home stretch, you kind of, it's kind of like basketball in the sense that you might have a 10 man rotation during most of the season, but then it's the playoffs. And all of a sudden that's a six man rotation, a seven man rotation. All of a sudden that rotation tightens up down the stretch of the season. You want to have more of that base lineup. And that's where it's going to be really important that the brewers are still playing for something because if you're still playing for something, 
guys can kind of put themselves second and put the team first. But if you're sitting there out of it or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden you're barely getting any playing time that could, that could play out. But I always say this too. I say this constantly for whatever reason in baseball, it always works out. Like how often is a guy on the injured list and he's going to come off the, he's due to come off the injured list in three more days. And you got a full roster and the only guy that you want to take off the roster, if you take him off the roster, you're going to have to clear him through waivers and he's absolutely going to get selected by another team. And then boom, well, somebody gets injured or something happens, whatever. Like it always works out. That's just one of the, the mystical things about baseball. It always works out. Yeah. So you, you mentioned, you know, having something to play for, I guess. What's the buzz around Milwaukee? I mean, they had a very quiet, but very underrated off season, I would say. What's kind of the expectations for this team coming into this season? What, what would you kind of predict that this team's going to go? I think they're contending for a playoff spot and contending for the division in the final month of the season. And, and it's hard to predict anything uh, more than that. I will say that when they've been in that spot before, they have been willing to go out and try to acquire talent. I think this is a year where so many teams are going to be trying to dump payroll throughout the course of the year. There might be a chance to go get some players kind of on the cheap. Uh, if you're willing to pick up a little bit of salary and I have no reason to believe that within reason, the brewers want to do that. But to me, this is a three team division. Uh, it's, it's the brewers, the Cardinals and the Cubs. And I think the brewers and the Cardinals are the two best teams and the Cubs are kind of a, a half step back, but people are really dismissive of the Cubs. And uh, last time I checked, Anthony Rizzo is still there. Chris Bryant's still there. Javi Baez is still there. Wilson Contreras is still there. So, I mean, they've, let's not, let's not, you know, throw them in the dumpster. That's a, that's a legit team there in Chicago and they're, they're a good team. And we know that, uh, with the Cardinals adding Nolan Arnato, uh, there in the off season after they had a, a nice season last year as well. But I, there is no reason to believe. I think the, I think the Brewers had a top 10 off season in major league baseball with the additions of, uh, of Colton Wong and Jackie Bradley jr. And the return of Brett Anderson, uh, th those are three guys who are going to impact this team in a very positive way this year. And I would be, I would be nothing short of shocked if they are not at the very least, very much in playoff contention when the calendar turns to September. So my last question for you, Matt, uh, personally is, is just how, how do you think that Freddie Peralta is looking this spring and what and what has he done to to kind of change his fortunes uh, th over the off season to this year, to where he has has a legitimate shot to stay in the starting rotation uh, all year long. And like in past seasons, he's he's jumped from the starting rotation at the start of the year back to the long reliever role. Uh, what what has he done to to kind of change his fortunes and 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 stay in the starting rotation all year long? Yeah. He's not fastball Freddie anymore. He's still got the fastball. He's still got the electric fastball, but he's added to it. And most specifically, you know, he's made, we call him fastball Freddie. He's kind of been a two pitch pitcher over his uh, time. Um, but the fastball has had to work. He's added a slider and it's, he, it's kind of the Trevor Bauer slider. Uh, he uses the same grip that Bauer used. Uh, it doesn't, it, it's not, it's not Bauer slider yet, but it, it's, it's in the form of the Trevor Bauer slider. And when you're a starting pitcher, you got to have multiple pitches. And when Peralta's fastball was 100% on, he could dominate a start with just his fastball, he but not every it. pitcher is going to be at a hundred percent every single game. So yeah. you got to have other pitches. So Peralta to his credit, he has cultivated his other pitches and really the pitch that he's added this year is that slider. And that's, that could be the difference maker. We're still, again, going back to track record. I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Uh, he, he doesn't have track record 
as being a consistently successful major league starter. Uh, but he, if, if he can get that slider to work and have that fastball going and do everything else that he does, man, we could see something pretty special from him. Yeah. You know, you mentioned you pitching with, especially with Freddie Peralta. And, and I would say, I think for the first, I think it's a really sneaky how they've done it in the last couple of years, but the Brewers pitching staff has really become a strength of this team. And between the rotation, between you look at Woodruff and Burns, and if if Peralta's kind of going to have that turnaround year, and you mentioned Brett Anderson as a impact pitcher, you look at the back end, you've got Williams and Hayter. I mean, you talk about the strengths of this team, and I, am I wrong in saying that that pitching staff is a strength? And what would you say the other strengths of this team are? I, I think the real strengths are that there's there's no just like blatant hole where you look at a position group yeah. and go, ah, you're not going to get anything out of there. Does that mean that the, every position group that it couldn't be upgraded? No, like third bases that that's yeah. something been talked about a lot. Like we're relying on, you know, the Brewers fans, there, there's, there's a reliance on Travis Shaw to, um, to, to, to move, to step forward or somebody else. So, but I feel like there's, you're not going into the season saying, oh, this is a really bad thing. Like there's just nobody to play this spot. I do think the rotation is strength. I think you can rely and count on Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Brett Anderson. Uh, when you look at spots numbers four, five, and six, and I do think they're going to go to a six man rotation fairly often during the year when they don't have off days uh, and just watch, you know, they're going to need a lot of starting pitching because they're going to skip guys uh, and, and give guys breaks and not have them go deep into games, just going from 60 innings to or 60 games to 162 games. But they're, 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 you don't have that track record with anybody uh, beyond those those top three guys, really. And you could argue the Burns, other than what he did last year, doesn't have it. But I think Burns is going to be fine. But does Freddie Peralta take that step? Does Adrian Hauser take that step? Does, does Josh Lindblom, does Eric Lauer, uh, how often are you going to have to go to the bullpen and get a start from Brent Suter, Drew Rasmussen? When are the, the young guys like an Aaron Ashby going to get there? Guys who have been a little bit banged up in uh, spring training. Can, can a Zach Brown graduate? Well, you signed Zach Godley. Does he have anything left in the tank? There are a lot of question marks there, but the good thing for the Brewers is uh, there's a lot of things they can try. It's not like they don't have guys in the organization that they can't have start games. So conversely, what do you think the biggest question, the biggest kind of not hole would be, but the biggest question mark coming into the season? Yeah, it probably would be that the back end of the rotation, that would, that would be it because there's no guarantee what you're going to get in positions number four, five, and six. So it's kind of weird that I answered the same, you know, the two, you know, backwards questions kind of the same way, but it's, you can really look at it in, in either direction. I, I just, that's the thing. You don't know what you're going to get out of those final two, three spots uh, in the rotation. Are there questions about third base? There's no guarantee that Travis Shaw is going to bounce back forward. I think, you know, third base is probably the next question. Catcher, uh, I'm 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 pretty high on Omar Narvaez. I think he's going to be fine this year. Everything we said about Christian Yelich and track record and last year, yada yada yada. I would say that about Omar Narvaez. My favorite. I mention this all the time. I don't know if you guys realize this. One of my favorite stats about last year, and this is why you just throw last year out. The Brewers had their worst hitting season ever, ever <laughs> franchise history, worst hitting season ever. They were second in the National League Central in hitting last year. Wow. That's why wow. that, that just tells wow. you that uh, everybody was just going through a weird year. Worst year ever wow. that the Brewers have ever had hitting. And they were second in the national league central. Only the Cardinals had a better team batting average uh, than the Brewers. So they, if that doesn't tell you throw out last year, I don't know what does. Yeah. And you know, you talk about one of those guys that sh like kind of shine through in the, the darkest spots, Orlando Arcee. I can't believe we haven't really mentioned him a whole yeah. lot in terms of, 
a guy who's got question marks but always has shown flashes of greatness. I mean, anything on him? Uh, it's another challenge for him. It seems like the org- you know, he didn't have a very good spring. He had a really bad spring. Oh. And it seems like the organization really wants to uh, give Luis Urias an opportunity at shortstop. I expect Urias to be the, the opening day shortstop. It seems like when the when the lights turn on, Arcia comes through. He had a really nice offensive season last year. The eye test will tell you that he is a, a superb defensive shortstop. He's the the advanced numbers will not tell you that. That's one of the few times where what you see with your eyes and what the advanced numbers say kind of conflict each other. Um, but uh, he's 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 once again being challenged by the organization. More often than not, he answers the challenge, but it's going to be a challenge for him. Yeah, at the end of the day, Matt, I mean, just some parting thoughts here. I mean, we've already kind of covered expectations, but what are you most forward look, looking forward to watching with this team as the 162-game marathon goes on? The defense. Uh, I think it's going to be fun to watch that, you know, when, especially when Arcia is in there, the double play combination of Wong and Arcia, to have Lorenzo Kane and Jackie Bradley Jr. patrolling uh, the same outfield. Like, what's better than a than a home run being brought back in? And you got two guys now who are among the best walking the face of the earth in, in making those kind of plays. So I think there's going to be some electric moments with this team this year. Yeah. Any uh, any sneak peeks on celebrations they might roll out? I mean, we kind of got blindsided. We had the home run gauntlet recently. We had the like the hands, spirit finger, show me some love type thing. Anything new? Yeah, that no, I don't. Forward to? I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I don't. I don't know what they're going to do. We, you know, you have COVID protocols. I, you know, how much can you? How much contact can you have? I, if they get to that eighty-five percent vaccination rate, then the protocols get uh, relaxed a little bit. Some teams across Major League Baseball have already got into that point. So I, I don't know. I, that's that's something to uh, certainly be watching out for. Yeah, my last question, uh, Matt, is, is: Are you ever going to get on the field, jump into a sausage suit, and? Uh, and maybe uh, go into the seventh inning stretch and, and try to win that race? Uh, it would be fun if somebody ever gave me that opportunity. <laughs> I would do it. I'd look like an idiot. I'm a big guy. I, you know, fitting into that thing, I, I don't know. I, I, they, they're, they look kind of thin. I run. I run almost every day. So even though I'm a big guy, I, do, uh, I work out on almost an everyday yeah, basis. Matt, so I feel, like about, I, could, I feel like I could hold my own on it. You but say that, not. though, but if you're, if you're not – if you're in the race, who's going to tweet about the times and the winner? I mean, that's one of your calling cards. While he's in the it suit, is. good. Maybe, maybe I just do a live video while <laughs> yes. I'm doing it, or just take video, and that counts as the tweet for that. You time. heard it here which, on Roof from Wisconsin. Which sausage would you would you go into if you had to pick? If you got first round draft pick of that day, if you're saying <laughs> they come to you, they're like, Matt, we need someone to run the sausage. You get the first pick. Which one are you picking? It's not the hot dog. It's not the Italian. So I'd, I'd, put, I'd knock those two out first. So what? That leaves us chorizo, Polish, and brat. I'd probably go Polish. Okay. I, I can get with that. Yeah. All right, Matt. Any parting thoughts you got for us here today? Just I, I hope fans really enjoy the fact that there's fans in the stands and things are kind of getting back to normal. And, uh, I, you know. People complain about things. Stop complaining, folks. It's baseball. Fans are in the stands. Who, you know, I'm sorry that you can't bring a bag in. I'm sorry that you can't tailgate. I'm sorry that the ballpark isn't called what you want the ballpark to be called. But just yeah. be happy. There's baseball being played. Let's all be happy. That's my yeah. that's my party. Don't worry. Let's be happy now. Pitches. All right, Matt. Yeah, I man. gotta I gotta say, uh, Electric having you on here. Thank you so much for being our first guest Thanks, and joining Matt. us. 
I will see you on April 16th. I'm coming down for a game. I got my tickets already, so we'll have to Sounds hit great. something up there. But, yeah, thanks so much for joining us, Matt. You were awesome. I can't say enough. Thanks for joining us. Glad you could. we could have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. That's Matt Polly, ladies and gentlemen, WTMJ pre- and post-game show. You can check him out there. And just what a guy. What a guy. Yeah. His Twitter is at Matt Polly, right? Go give him a, fo- yeah, a follow. Yeah, Matt Polly on air. Matt, you still with us? Yes. How can people follow you? Like, what? What? Give a little yeah, hype up here, man. Yeah, on Twitter at Matt Polly on air. M A T T P A U L E Y on air. Everything I've got going on is always on the Twitter, so that's just the best way to do it. All right, sounds good. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, and, Matt. And we'll wrap our show up just in a little bit here. But all right, once again, thank you to Matt Polly for joining the show. Man, I, was that awesome? That was, was so that much not fun. Awesome. You'd almost think that we knew what we were doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell stuck a microphone in me and thought I was like uh, any good at this today? I mean, <laughs> shit. I mean, it's almost a shame Ramsey's not here. <laughs> I shouldn't say that to him. Are we really sure? <laughs> We're still in the man's house. We can't <laughs> oh, talk to oh, him. Oh, sorry, Ramsey. He's not here to defend himself. That's not fair. I mean, we talk enough shit about you anyway. So. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> all right. So I guess we'll wrap up the show with what we always were for. I'm going to go first in this one just after that interview. I'm excited for Brewers baseball. I mean, b- yeah. baseball is my first love. I, you know, I love football. I love basketball. But. I'm so excited. Baseball's back, and it actually counts now, so you can't yeah. shit on me for spring training baseball. Yeah, there it is. I'm a, I'm a, I'm with you now. All right, I I can I can come to the baseball table and and start watching. And now, don't don't hate on me when when we get to June, July, and this thing starts getting a little boring, and it's like forty games up and thirty five games down, and and nobody really cares about it right now. We're just kind of going through the motions and, and trying to get to that hey, end if run. If this team's as electric as Matt says it's going to yeah. be, it could you, be might, fun you might watch. not even have to worry about that, Justin. If there's a web jam every day, I'm going to watch these goddamn guys. Somehow, some way, even though Fox Sports Wisconsin won't play on my Dish Network, I will find a way to watch these guys. Might spend a lot of time in the bars up there. Well, there's PBR there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm rooting for this week. I, I'm excited for baseball to be back. Justin, you're going to piggyback on that? You got something else you got going yeah, on? Yeah, you know, uh, baseball's exciting, but I mean, as a basketball coach, there's really just two things that I'm really rooting for. It's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to I'm gonna double down and I'm going I'm going to watch UCLA beat up on Zagaton uh, no on Saturday. Way. No that, way. That's what's going to happen. Uh UCLA, Mick Cronin, going to do it. I, I love Mark Few, too. I, I just think he's a stoic human being that, that does a great job and has really transformed what was built. Uh, before him, he's transformed it into uh, just a tremendous uh, program. But uh, how exciting. I mean, you got Baylor and Houston, two Texas schools going for it. Who's going to be the Texas school to uh, represent um, uh, Texas in, in, in the championship game, and then uh, then you got UCLA Zaga, uh, 11-1. A lot of ones going on in there, but uh, uh, 11-1, that's going to be, I think it's going to be a, a, a good game. Uh, I think if uh, Johnny Juzang can can hit some shots and, and UCLA has a chance, just is, is within 10, 10 points with five minutes to go, I think you could see something special. That's so what I'm. What What are you? Any, any final prediction? Are you Are you bold enough to make a prediction after how bad your bracket was? <laughs> my My bracket was screwed with. It, <laughs> it, it was it, it was tampered with, but 
I'm going to go. Now listen here. Uh, my bold prediction is not going to go with UCLA and, and Gonzaga. My bold prediction is I think Houston's going to be oh. Baylor. And, I'm excited so, to watch. I think that's going to end up being the better game, by the way. And I think you're going to watch Zaga versus Houston. Two okay. non-power conference teams play for the NCAA basketball championship. If that happens. That's my bold prediction. I, I, I will be a happy basketball fan if that happens. Now, see, that's not bad. People can't hate on me for that pick. Yeah, not for that pick anyway. <laughs> I I am I'm, I think I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna go chalk. I guess I'm gonna go Baylor versus Gonzaga. I the want dude. you to be right. I want you to be yeah. right. I don't think I've seen enough out of Houston that I think that they can right. contend with Baylor. They're two best teams all year, right? And you get you got a hole for the underdog. I I just want to see the underdog. But I would love to see that that non power five. It, 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 how crazy is it to think that Houston's a two seed and they're an underdog, right? I mean, just. I mean, Baylor and, and Gonzaga have been so powerful all year long, and they, they've just been tremendous. And, you know, so, some fans might want, you know, traditionalists want to see the two best teams, but that's not what the NCAA tournament's about. That's not what it's about. It's about upsets. It's about the underdog getting the to the big The one shining moment. Yeah, it's about, it's about the underdog getting to the big dance. It's about let, let's see the little guy win. Let's watch the little guy win. All right, so that's episode 16 in the books. Ramsey will be back next week, hopefully. Ramsey was electric on the Zoom call. <laughs> he was actually really good. I was, sur- I was pleasantly surprised. The Bristol but... information was outstanding. Yeah, he was great. The electric show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that is episode 16 in the books from the Meteor True Value and Riverwood Gallery Studio in De Pere, Wisconsin. I'm Eric signing off for Ramsey and Justin. Hey, two weeks in a row, no Baker Mayfield reference. Oh! Might have to give Ramsey a noogie back when he gets back for that one. But. I'm going to lick the windshield on every one of these cars and then leave. <laughs> I am. I'm, I don't think I'm going to let him not do that, Ramsey. But <laughs> All right, so that's episode 16. Thanks again for listening. Continue to share the page with your friends and family. We'll have our championship bracket uh, winners next week. We'll probably talk about some prizes then. And we'll have some Brewers baseball to break yeah. down. So life will be good next week. Episode 16 in the books. Episode 17 coming at you next week. Rupert Wisconsin Show. I'm Eric. We're out. Bye.